This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to the Roka Report podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cam, and joining us this week is Derry's own Addy Hollis. How do you do? Not too bad, thanks. I'm doing well. Immediately in there with the Irish crack, yeah. Addy. It's great. Also joining us is brand new philosopher from Sheffield University, it's Alex McCain. How do you do? I'm not too bad. Thank you very much for the uh, validation of my achievement. I yes. appreciate that. It's a two-one, something something don't see too often. Graduation party was nothing, so I feel like my validation's worth more. We're I also joined. Agree <laughs> <laughs> also joined by the wonderful BBC Newcastle commentator Nick Barnes. How are you doing, sir? Uh, very good. What a welcome. Thank you. It's been quite a while <laughs> since you've last joined us, but I think it's this your third. Yes, and I was meant to be on towards the last end of last season, but then events at Sunderland got in the yes. way. I think I got drafted. I think I'm certain Stuart Donald. Yeah, got in the way of things. How dare he? <laughs> but no. Speaking of Stuart Donald, we've got plenty to cover in the last week, because as it was, uh, as is the case with Sunderland, it's every week is a new storyline. But let's get off with the good news: a six-nil win for the lads in the Skullduggery derby over the weekend, triumph over Saint Mirren. It's only a pre-season game, but let's get let's get over excited. So, Nick, what was your biggest takeaway from that result? Um, I think the fact that a lot of people had said to me before the game that they'd love to see Alan Stubbs' team um, concede a lot of goals, and I. Before the game, couldn't see it, thinking, okay, that's great, nice thought, nice sentiment, but it'll probably be one or two nil, two one, whatever. But six without reply, um, that couldn't have been nicer. That was quite sweet, actually. Um, but to the nitty gritty, uh, I thought St. Mirren were poor. I think they were okay until Sunderland scored um, without really causing or ringing any alarm bells. But I think when Sunderland put their noses in front and when they went 2 0 up, I think St Mirren, I mean, I say throwing the towel, I think it's probably the wrong expression. I don't think they threw in the towel. But as a competitive unit, I didn't think it yeah. was much of a match for Sunderland. And in terms of an exercise for Sunderland, which which they wanted in, 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 in to try and play a team that you'd think would be on a comparative level or thereabouts for them this season, St Mirren didn't really offer that mm. in the second half, especially. And um, But that said, you, you know, confidence-wise, it's great. Um, I think one or two players again did themselves um, you know a lot of good in terms of uh, getting games under their belt and starting to look like they're betting into the team I'm thinking of Dylan McGeeck and Chris Maguire in particular Um, I think McGeeck for me has been the standout player in pre-season don't know about the others is is that how you say that? Yeah, yeah. I asked him. Yeah, I, well, there was a big dis- <laughs> big debate about this last week because someone said to yeah. me it's McGurk, uh, and they said for reference, look at the, or listen to the video he did for the club website when he signed. Mm-hmm. Well, if you listen to him, because he's got quite a strong Scottish accent, it's you, you could conceive it as being McGurk. Yeah. But actually, when I spoke to him at um, Grimsby on Tuesday night, I said, look, on Saturday I was calling you Dylan McGurk because I know a couple of Scots, and they said that's how you. Um, uh, pronounce it and I spoke to someone at BBC Scotland and we've all come up with Dylan McGeeck he said mm. perfect absolutely right and if you listen to his interview it, it is actually McGeeck but you can see how that McGeeck yeah, can yeah, become yeah. McGeeck quickly as well yeah but it's game. definitely McGeeck so McGeeck um, is fine yeah I think two podcasts ago we I think it was me you Connor and Nichols all had a really hard time trying to 
think of the pronunciation ourselves and we all had a different answer so yeah, Mine was I mean, McGouch arguably the furthest away <laughs> yeah, I think actually no you had McJeff which is I I think McJeff, equally McJeff. as controversial well, <laughs> to be honest last season Jason Denier was I remember talking to him at um, mm. Berry, mm. and he came out with uh, we said yeah Denier and then a week later, I saw an interview saying it's Denea. And so you, even, and even Robin Router, Robin Router was saying, he said, well, in Holland, we say Router. Here, you can say Router. And, well, that doesn't actually solve the dilemma. No, what do we call yeah, you? you know? I kind of think of it being as Router because that's, so, like, that's like the instrument well, it's like some, Wi-Fi, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It is, exactly. Um, but he said to me, Router is how they pronounce it in Dutch. My, my other one this season is Max Striek. Strijek. Well, I was saying Strijek on Saturday. I thought, I, I've been told it was Strijek. Then I had a tweet from someone whose wife is Polish, who was going apoplectic with my pronunciation, <laughs> and says in Polish it's Striek. Um, so I've got to speak to Max and find out what his take on it is. But it'd probably be the same as Robin Router. Yeah. Well, in Poland it's Striek. Here we say Striek anyway. So, <laughs> well, with it being we're a, no further forward. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with it being a pre-season game, obviously, because we did lose against Ireland one 0 and there was a lot of people. <clears throat> yeah, half of the fan base seemed to want to freak out and go, oh, "That's it, we're doomed." League Two, here we come, and then another half of the fan base were going, "Well, it is only a pre-season." Yeah. So, does that same rule apply to Saint Mirren? If, say, for example, we were the ones who just got beaten six 0 off Saint Mirren, should we have been in meltdown mode or? Can we really take a lot from that game? Yeah, I think if apparently no pre-season games matter, you can't pick and choose which ones have meaning. So you're either all yeah. in or all out, in my opinion. You know, you either you're either doom and gloom at a loss against a terrible team in Darlington, comparatively to us, you know, mm-hmm. well, comparably whichever the word is, and you know, overjoyed that we're beating a team around our level six nil Saint Mirren, which you'd say really, you know, would probably slot in somewhere in League One or perhaps the Championship. I'm really not sure how the it's really tough how, to how it translates. Yeah, I'm not sure yeah. how it translates, but I'd imagine they'd be in and around where we are. So yeah, I, I think really you either have to, you know, take them all as just being you know fairly trivial games, or if you're going to take them seriously, take them all seriously. You know, there's no point sort of picking and choosing which ones. It was good to see the academy players got on the got on the score sheet. Though that would be a big confidence builder for them. Like, Paddy, do you reckon that's a a key part of our season going forward is making sure those young players keep there? Uh, Contributing, yeah, I think because I mean, obviously, we know uh, last season I sort of feel uh, the academy players were sort of thrown in almost like just to plug the gap, obviously. But before the season started, there probably wasn't that many plans to have them that involved. But then, obviously, you look at um, the likes of like Honeyman played in at least 30 games, 30, you know, and obviously, before the season started, that probably wasn't in the plans. So, I think going forward, um, I think next season uh, there'll be. Obviously, the much of our team is going to be probably built around these academy players. Obviously, yeah, we've got these new signings in, but obviously we've got these academy lads who a lot of them have quite a bit of experience now compared to other players we just brought in. And I think it's going to be really important just to get them, give them more game time. And then obviously, you know, we see was all the goal scorers on against Saint Mirren were you know academy products, and that's you know that's fantastic, really. You know, because they're going to be they're going to be the lads who. We're going to be wanting to put performances in to get us back playing good football and getting promoted, and hopefully next season. Fingers crossed. So you're saying uh, Mc McGeek was the standout player in pre-season. If you're looking at academy lads, then who do you think's made the biggest steps so um, far in the summer? Well, interesting. Well, I mean, I, I mean, we, I, do we discount Honeyman and Gooch as being academy lads because they've played now? I think all last season, if and we're looking at improvement in how much they've grown, uh, I think you could probably uh, compare them that way. Yeah, I th- Gooch, I think mm. Mm, Gooch, I think it's got. Um, it, it, I think he's got a bit more freedom now. I think he's probably playing where he would prefer to play. Um, Barley Mumber, everyone's looking forward to seeing more of. I don't think we've seen enough of him really the last couple of weeks to really. And, he, and he's still. I mean, when I spoke to Jack Ross about Barley Mumber and, and Ben Kiopia, Kempiokia. Um, both too young to be heavily involved this yeah. season it's, it's very mindful of that um, but I think we'll see more of Ethan Robson um, Lyndon and George obviously um, goalkeepers Max is probably going to be significantly involved I'd have thought this season especially She's the rumours of Routon leaving yeah, is yeah, are true as well yeah. um, I mean going back to the pre-season and Darlington and Hartlepool and Grimsby I just for, for me this season there's a plan last season I just think they were directionless you know you, every pre-season friendly last year was mm. as Paddy was saying they threw in an under 21 here under 23 here yeah. uh, there was no real direction in games they were playing players that probably weren't going to be playing in the season 
and it was just all up in the air. I mean, you made the point if they'd lost 6-0 to St Mirren. Well, you know, the big fear was, you know, the big fear you're going to hit a, a, a Celtic like last season, which could be Middlesbrough on Friday night. But I just get a sense with the development of the team since, and I didn't see Darlington, but since Hartlepool, Grimsby, St Mirren, they've looked more rounded as a team with each game that's gone by. I think Jack Ross has got in his mind what system he wants to play, how he wants the players to slot into that. And and regardless of who he's played, I think he's trying to get into the players' heads how to play rather than who plays. Because if he can get them in, into a system of how to play, which everyone's comfortable with, then he can slot players in and out of that. Yeah. Um, and he he's you know he himself has said, you know he's he he's not too worried about the size of the players in regards. I mean probably touch on this that they're too small yeah. he's not unduly worried that they haven't got an out and out goal scorer because Saturday proved the under 23s yeah, can weigh in with well. goals yeah. um, and so all those sort of areas where people have got worries he's a little bit more sanguine about but I think at the same time he wants to get in some experience clearly wants to try and get in a striker clearly wants to try and get in an experienced midfielder more defenders and probably another goalkeeper but um, you know he's got two weeks to do it um, and we've seen you know, it's not as easy as we'd be led to believe sometimes to get players in because there's competition for them. Um, so, uh, and at the moment, you know, Sunderland are a League One team. They clearly haven't got a huge amount of money to spend, whatever's been said, because it's already been established they're having to sell to buy. Um, so, you know, there are caveats to, to some of those issues, yeah. but I'm, I'm, I'm more, I, I feel much more comfortable with what I've seen this pre-season than I did with what I saw last pre-season it struck me when you were saying that like oh he's got a system and it doesn't really matter who's in the system because everybody can understand and that's like obvious staple of every football club isn't it like every team has their own system Mm. Sunderland haven't had that for years and like hearing that saying about Sunderland team was like oh my god we actually do have a A man with a plan I mean yeah yeah, and I just look I like what I've seen of Jack Ross Um, a few people have said to me what do you make of him I like him he's professional um, he clearly did a very, very good job at St Mirren. I spoke to a few people at the weekend about his time at St Mirren and they love him absolutely. I mean, did, you saw during the game, they're going up asking for selfies and autographs from the manager in the dugout during the game and he's more than willing to give it, give them. But I mean, he said, you know, people said to me they were absolutely devastated when he decided to leave and, and really upset. Um, some were angry at the same time as they would never stand in the way of him advancing mm. his career and they know he's ambitious and you know there's no way they would uh, begrudge him moving to, to Sunderland to better himself so I think clearly by what he achieved at St Mirren I, he said to me you know when he started at St Mirren it was it was much like starting at Sunderland he had to start from scratch he had to bring players in he, he had a small you know in, in terms of stature they were small but he said you know that didn't hinder them last season so I think he can you know he's clearly a man that can work around that he can find a solution to that if needs been, I think my solution to it, I don't think Gooch and Honeyman to a degree illustrated it at the weekend, um, is, is pace. I think if you've got pace, from my experience, I mean, some years back, when I covered Carlisle in League One, League Two, if you have pace in those divisions, you are a step ahead of a lot of the clubs. I found that interesting. Like, we obviously have a, a height deficiency, to sort of put it, like people worried about set pieces, things like that. That's, that's yeah. you know, a reasonable concern. If you're sat in Jack Ross or Stuart Donalds or Tony Colton or whatever and you're the one bringing in silence who do you nail who's next on your list to bring in anybody you want to do this one Paddy <laughs> uh, I mean I think I could probably say sort of which positions might be going by but I couldn't really pin down I think we we need to bring in like the sort of the centre forward which is going to sort of make people think wow they mean business and obviously you know there's been a couple of names thrown around and obviously you know some of them haven't worked out and everything but you know what I mean I think really the only one we're still in for from the last couple of weeks I think it's Charlie Wyke yeah. and I know yeah. it's it's interesting to know that obviously he's it's been confirmed that he's out injured for like four to six weeks but we're still going in for him so realistically I think I can see us going for him and if he wants to come I think we will bring him in but it's just it is really unusual for a team to sign a player who they know is going to be missing until that's what, the issue yeah uh, it, September. it is an issue but I'm, I agree with you centre forward for me is the key player if they yeah. can get someone who's got experience um, 
and can you know make a mark in this division. I think the one thing I noticed about you know Hartlepool, um, Grimsby to an extent. I mean, you can see a style of play for those teams. And look, look, let's you know be candid here. Sunderland are in a division which isn't far apart from those two now yeah. across that playing field. Um, and what they did, or what Hartlepool did especially, is sit back behind the ball and they're big and they make it very very difficult for you to break them down. Now the one thing that Sunderland have got is lots of possession. They play well and McGeeks crucial for that play the ball a lot possession football but they couldn't get in behind the, the back four so I think they need an out and out experienced striker who knows how to make that Someone in a, now in terms of White being injured for four six weeks and out I'm, I'm not too worried about that because I think you can in this division you can have a a, a steady start a poor start there are enough so, games to really to, to mm. you know press the button after January and have a run um I think that you know they will be in for someone up front. I, I think you know even with Jack Ross saying it's not the end of the world, we don't get anybody in the next two weeks. I think it'd be frantically trying to get someone in with experience in that division. Yeah, I think a centre forward definitely, and more specifically, I think maybe sort of something that you've alluded to there is like a big out and out target man is probably precisely what you what you need right now. Understands what to do. Yeah, just like a big unit, someone who's going to you know stand in between the centre backs, you know barge the shoulders and come off the better really just like a, a big presence which our PC players can feed the ball to if need be to make that difference in the final third something that I think we aren't quite seeing now yeah I agree with that because I think you know the little sort of um, acid test last season season before was the checker trade trophy I remember going you know Rochdale Berry and wherever and you looked at the centre-backs and the players in those league teams and they're big they're, they're uncompromising they're not the fastest is where, where I think Sunderland have got the advantage in having young players with pace but you need someone who can get in there and just yeah. ruffle a few Makes feathers in the penalty area that which big, at the moment they haven't got sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah that big uh, Kiefer Moore at Rotherham yeah uh, prime example of that he's yeah. you know, big 6-5 absolute unit you know he's gonna and I don't think there's a single centre back in that division who would you know and they're not afraid to elbow here no, yeah nudge no, here no, and no. so on and Sunderland have got to They've got to adapt to that. They yeah, can have exactly. to, you know, that will be some, which is something they've not found in pre-season yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, with the best ball in the world, they've been quite nice. The games, they're not really mm-hmm. apart yeah. from one incident on um, Saturday when Maguire and when he's um, Maguire looks like he's got that. Uh, he's got that edge. He's, he's got, got that edge, <laughs> and he's got that in his game. There's no question. I think. I worry for I worry for Josh Madger because I like him as a player. I think he's an excellent finisher. I think he's he's got the tools to, to but he needs to develop them. He's not ready yet, and I think in this division, an experienced centre half would see him walk up the wall. Yeah, I quite like Madger. I liked him last preseason. I thought he was stronger than Sorrow, actually. I thought of the two, that he was the more physical of the two players, but um, the way the season panned out with injuries and the like. I really wanted to see a photo appear on Twitter, like in the warm ups of the first preseason game of Madger looking like an absolute unit, and he just didn't quite happen. (laughs) It's it's funny because I was talking to someone the other week about I I think they look leaner this season than they did last, last summer. Um, but you know, you look at Tom Flanagan, and he's 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 a straw. You know, he, he sort of blows about in the wind. Isn't this? this Oz Turk looks like he's got a, a bit of bulk to him, but he's got no pace. And um, it'd be interesting to see how Leuven's is actually, because you know, although he's thirty-four and allegedly no pace, um, he's a big unit, and that might yeah. be inter- it'd be interesting. Yeah, well. yeah. yeah. The thing with Leuven's I found interesting is um, a lot of fans were sort of taking to social media and sort of saying in a more negative way that he's just like a John O'Shea signing I thought it was quite an interesting comparison because it's like I sort of see where they're coming from but at the same time I mean you know Leuven's has a lot more experience at the lower levels you know what we brought in O'Shea when he'd only really played in the Premier League so I think I get where they're coming from they're sort of like you know maybe signing a player who some fans will think he's past his best but at that level I think with with his experience in all the SPL um, and in the football league, I think he'll turn out to be like a really useful signing. I think he will be really he'll help organise our back four, which after last season was something which we really need to do. I think because yeah, I think the back four is one of the one of the problems last season. It was so fragmented and it was so broken up every week. And yeah, you know, Shea played you know double the number of games he probably would have thought he was going to play. And you know, you in someone like O'Shea or Leuven's needs someone around them that can pick up the pieces around them and can read their game and that wasn't happening last season um, it'd be interesting to see what the back four will be at the start I mean I quite like 
I mean, Adam Matthews and Donald Love as fullbacks. I haven't got, you know, huge complaints about it, except that Adam Matthews, as he plays at left back, is playing wrong footed. Yeah, he's right back. Um, and Love, you know, I think is a fullback. He's definitely not a centre back. Um, so, you know, there, is there a big question mark about getting a left back in? I mean, I know there's Reese James, isn't there? And he's injured. But um, if they can get that sorted and a steady back four, then, you know, that's that's a real I positive. One, yeah. I think we're still one centre half away. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then if we yeah, get a, one centre a young centre half with pace. Yeah. Someone who's, who can make up for the deficiencies yeah. of the other one. So yeah. they just, it's all about balance, isn't it? Though? It's. it's well, I think yeah, it is, and I think I think that's one of the things that Jack Ross has been trying to do in this preseason. I say that you know you, he's interchanging young players, older players, but he's trying to get a balance in terms of width. I mean, you can see McManaman was clearly going to be part of the plans. Yeah, playing him on the right, mm-hmm. playing him on wide. Um, yeah, that's a real boom, to be honest. Yeah, and I think you know that yeah. was a blow to even in his comments after the game on Saturday. You could tell that Jack Ross was you know hurt by McManaman leaving because that he was going to be you know, part of his plans. But you can see what he's trying to achieve with a bit of width, a bit of pace. You know, McGeeock then tidying up at the back and just driving everything through the middle. I'd love to see what more in that system. Yeah, well, you see, that's another thing. We've got what more to come back. What sort of player is he going to be like? And he's not going anywhere. Um, You know, so what more will come back in and, you know, that's another signing, if you like. Yeah, Yeah. that is. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a big ask on him and I know they're taking real care with him um, because of the you know the fears having had that happen yeah. to him twice is is massive. So I just hope we're not in a position where we're wanting to rush him back. You know, I think hopefully we'll have the strength and depth to not have to you know be at the sort of the, the last two or three weeks of his recovery thing. You know what? You know, come on, donkey. You know, yeah. Back on the pitch now because that's you know all, all you need to do is bring him on when he's not quite recovering. Now I'm no physio, but that tends to be when you know injuries sort of they get. Worsened by. Well, it's such an innocuous thing, and that you know when he went down last season and it happened, it was you, you looked at it and thought, well, has he really done it again? And oh, I couldn't believe it. It's yeah. awful. Like, and it's awful. and it's you know Proper staggering, really. Just, you just don't. That type of injury happens once in a career, though, player. For it to happen twice, twice, yeah. And yeah. especially the fact he just come back from the uh, start yeah. is awful. Like, it's such a nice bloke as well. Like, yeah. yeah, he just got his degree. He was yeah. just yeah. I, 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 yeah, big up one more. Can't wait for him to get back though. Well, it would have been a long year for him as well because, you know, McNair was back in the, the fray and those two were the two that were yeah, effectively holding each other's hands for a year to try and keep them go, keep themselves going. Mm. And suddenly to, to, I mean, and, and, you know, on that, I mean, David Binningsley's left as well, who was really, you know, he, Duncan Watmore. He, David was the guy that was really getting Duncan through it. Mm. Um, I think when David left, that was a big blow for, for Duncan as well. So there's a lot of things for him to, to get he's, still, he's still only young. He's still yeah. got a lot, of, yeah, uh, yeah. a lot of football ahead of him. So, we've uh, just touched on all that there. We're going to take a quick break because Alex's microphone's getting on my nerves. We'll be straight back. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Rogue Report podcast. Thank you for the short break there, but we're just going to go into what we all think the Sunderland squad will look like if the game if the game against Charlton took place tomorrow. And based on that squad, where do you think we'll finish? Nick, we'll start with you. Well, if it was tomorrow, I think it'd be the same team that started against St Mirren on Saturday. Yeah. Because um, that's that's effectively uh, all he's got in terms of players with experience available. They all started. Uh, we saw the bench with six outfield players from the under-23s and Max Striek, uh, Striecek, whichever pronunciation <laughs> yeah. we prefer. Max, <laughs> Max will do. his way Max to do it. Yeah. Uh, so I think that, that that's what would be the starting eleven. Uh, where will they finish this season? Personally, after Stuart Donald and Charlie Methvin had said it when they took over that this team, squad, club should have a bigger budget than anyone else in the division, um, which in theory they should, you, you, you can't see anything outside of finishing in the playoffs or automatic promotion. I think, I think not to do so in those circumstances is bordering on the negligent because if you've got those resources available, you should be able to get players in that are better than most in this division and you should be able to and I think Jack Ross with his experience should be able to fashion a team that um, is in that position I, I still wouldn't discount it even if they if they didn't make you know the number of signings they want to make because they will make more signings I think the moment yeah clearly there's a big worry the, the squad's too thin and it's over-reliant on the under-23s but um, I'm, I'm 
still fairly optimistic. I mean, I think if they fi- finish playoffs or automatic promotion, yeah, I, th- I think that's still a, a really realistic aim for them. Yeah, do you guys agree with that? Is that a fair assessment of this? Yeah, team? I think so. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as you said, like we can't really change the squad much, so I don't think it would change. And mm. yeah, it's like top six minimum, really. Can't really anything for... less, anything lower than that, really is a complete failure. I think. To, well, I to think. Yeah, bluntly. and I think you look back over the last few seasons, the teams that were relegated from the championship and, and were ex Premier League teams, on the whole, they bounced back. The exceptions being the clubs that had massive financial problems. Leeds had the administration issues and got docked, was it 18 points when they went down? And they still, yeah. on that, managed to nearly get promoted back to yeah. the championship mm. in their first season. Portsmouth, again, they had huge problems. We know, you know that, that saw them drop even further. Sheffield Wednesday, again, huge financial problems. No surprise, Portsmouth from Sheffield Wednesday had same owners, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Um, but you know, your Blackburns, your Wiggins, and whoever have all gone down and come straight back up. I, th- I think Sunderland have got to do that. Yeah, generally it takes one hell of a hurdle to stop a team of the stature of us and the others from going straight back up to the championship. Really, yeah. you know, it, it just shouldn't be there. Really, I think it's yeah, the, uh, I, I, it's yeah. just too big a club. Yeah, um, to to be in it with with all the all that's happened this summer and and you know the financial side of it. It's they they're not in financial meltdown. Yes, they clearly are still some financial issues but they're, but they're nothing as to compare to the no. position that they were yeah. in so I think you know w- with taking what Stuart Donald said about the finances how they're managing that um, and with Jack Ross as a manager I, I just think you know it, it should still work I haven't seen anything yet and while there are some worries I haven't seen anything that really makes me think this is a team that's going to implode now and plummet down yet again yeah well we've got um, also the fact that Stuart Don's obviously been very active on Twitter as has been well documented a lot of people have got a lot of opinions on that whether it's uh, a good thing or a bad thing but today he has suggested he's going to step back a bit let his recruitment team deal with the recruitment and he's going to stop interacting not interacting so much but at least publicising information that should maybe otherwise be kept private do we think that's a, a good move or yeah. was he in the wrong in the first place <laughs> no he wasn't in the wrong I think it's great that he's been out there and he's you know that interaction is there and, it's, and finally you know the, the, the club it's, it's got to connect with the with the fans again and that's got to be applauded but at the same time I think he has to put his hat on as an owner and chairman and think right what's the effect on Jack Ross Richard Hill Tony Coton yeah um, and and as I understand it, they're clearly not what they might say publicly. They're clearly not happy with it because it is undermining what Richard's trying to do in terms of getting players in. I, I know, you know, historically any football club, they don't like their targets being known because it, it actually alerts other clubs. It, it, it starts this whole sort mm-hmm. of um, chain of, you, you know, undermining their attempts to target a player because if another club knows you're trying to sign them, they start to uh, go to the player and say, well, we can do this. They can't do that. And, um, although you know, in football most teams know who's chasing who because the agents are ringing round and trying to offload players but I just think at the moment um, yeah by all means start talking about the you know what's happening within the club in terms of the finances in terms of what they want to do with the club but I think just leave the transfers and that side of it to, to Jack Ross and yeah. and the football yeah, half like, of the club, if you like. The classic yeah, route yeah, yeah. yeah. His, uh... I think as well, if Stewart's publicising a lot of uh, what would be normally considered quite sensitive information, it encourages the club which we're trying to buy the player from to hold out for more money. You know, like if if they're expecting a bid from us, or well, well, let's say they're not expecting a bid at all, and they hear that Sunderland are interested, they'll go, okay, right, Sunderland, pull up the dossier, right, they've got this amount of money. Let's not let go of player X for 400k let's hold out for a bit more you know we know how interested they are you know we can infer from the chairman's tweet just how desperate they are for this player so let's let's see if we can peddle them for a million you know and uh, it's you know I, I think as as good as it is that he's giving this interaction yeah it can, you know it does have the potential to yeah I, I, like I that. think things yeah. like last week and he said um There'll be three trialists at St Mirren. Ah, that's a bad one. For, for, mm. for starters, um, and clearly there weren't. And you know, Jack Ross is asked about it afterwards, and sort of raises his eyes to the 
ceiling. It's a sort of um, it, it it just makes Jack Ross his life a little bit harder because yes, he may well have wanted a trialist or two there, but if it hasn't happened, it doesn't. It, he's not really helped by the chairman saying there will be three trialists mm-hmm. at St Mirren. And I think the other thing is that you know within the same sort of interview, Stuart Donald is saying, um, well, look, uh, I don't get involved in the transfers i leave that to so, richard well, you are involved but at the yeah. same time yeah. <laughs> you are involved yeah because you're the chairman and you're the one who holds the purse strings so you're either involved or you're not involved um if you're not involved and leave it leave yeah. it so yeah. just let jack and the others get on with it if you are involved i think you've got to be a bit more sensible about what you're saying to everybody about how far advanced some things are and because it's actually not constructive for Jack Ross and that, and, and, and that maybe, side yeah. of things. Do you think maybe one of them have got hold of him and just had a little frenzy and just I say I think, yeah. 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 I think it's a, it's, um, it's, a, it's an unnecessary sort of area of questions for Ross as well because it's like he shouldn't have to be in say like a pre or post match press conference um, he shouldn't have to be answering questions about oh so why did why did your chairman tweet this you know it should be focused on like the players on the pitch and then obviously if there's any you know um more sort of official rumours, then they'll be addressed there. But I think it'll be it's it'll be a weight off Ross's shoulders to not have not have to ask answer those sort of questions um, whenever there's been a game on. Cause, oh, why? What's what's all this about? And he's just like, I don't really know. Like I, I just can't give that information. Yeah, I think, quite, I think it's quite difficult for him as well because you know inevitably after every every transfer window, the manager's always asked you know anywhere near it to anybody coming in, anybody going out. But I think as he's he's alluded to it a couple of times. When he said, when he's been asked about Charlie Wyke or, or Billy Sharp or whoever, I mean, he quite rightly said, well, look, even if I was interested in that player, he's not ours. And there are rules, you know, there are football league rules and so on. If he starts saying openly that, yeah, we're, we're, we're close, we're gonna, we want him, you, you know, that, that makes his life difficult as well, I think. Yeah. Well, we've got, um, we've got some questions for you from our listeners, Rogue Report fans on Twitter. First of all, from Jake Collinson, he asks, uh, have you had the pleasure of speaking with either Stuart Donald or, as he puts it, Big Charlie Meffin yet? I've met both of them, but only once. I met them when they um, held the press conference for taking yeah. over the club. Um, other than that, I've, I've not seen them since. not spoken to either of them since. And we've seen quite a lot of them, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, 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 it's great. I mean, no, it's good. Yeah, I mean, it's, I've no issue with that. I mean, um, historically, with every club, with the owners, I mean, I don't have really huge amount to do with them because my you know really my day-to-day job is the football yeah exactly um you know the, for me the, the the important man is jack ross well and, and you know there. not that Stuart Donald's not important before you oh, yeah. yeah 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 of course i'll wait to publish that one can't we? <laughs> scandal <laughs> nick barnes doesn't rate Stuart. no <laughs> we've got a question here from itv simon o'rourke uh, i have no idea what he's on about but we're going to ask you anyway <laughs> him and benno getting the caravan Right, yeah. No, the, last season, when relegation to the championship, I said, Benno, we're going to have to buy ourselves a little caravanette or caravan because we got that many games away. Yeah. Um, and uh, we, we had all sorts of plans. Your little dormobile, red and white, you know. <laughs> but then I, this weekend, with the heat wave and everything that's, you know, the weather that we're having at the moment, uh, I revised it before the St Mirren game, saying really what we ought to buy is an ice cream van. And travel around in the ice cream van, oh, especially since we've got games yeah. at Blackpool and Fleetwood. Albeit they'll be in the middle of winter, but if this heat wave continues, who knows? <laughs> ben will be dishing out fabs and magnums and whatever else. No, you ever I'll seen Max and Paddy, Nick? No. <laughs> Similar <laughs> concept. That's the only. That's the only image I've got in my head now. After you've been saying that, it'll be Benno in a pinny. Oh, man. oh. <laughs> magical! That well, sounds excellent. Thanks, like Simon, for that question. <laughs> That's our little adventure in our ice cream van. We've got um, we've got SAFC Dolphins asking more personally to you. Will you be writing a book about your time with Sunderland? Often thought about it. Um, my time's a big get, factor. Uh, well, there, well, yeah. Look, I mean, 15, 15 years, sixteen seasons, and look at the managers. Um, y- y- there is lots to write about. I mean, beyond that, I mean, I've, I've worked with Bobby Robson and. Um, you know, others. You, you, there, there is plenty to write about, and yeah. well, my partner, she's she's desperately urging me to write the book. I've already started. She's made me take notes. I've been making notes, fastidious notes, going back through the years. I mean, 
you know, even from even Carlisle United days, you know, going to Wembley on the team bus and so on and so on. There's lots of Michael Knighton, there's another character. Um, there are plenty of characters, plenty of stories. It's, many, it's, uh, it's sitting down and writing it. Would there be many notable Sunderland managers that you just have to like just leave out? Just no, not really. I mean, they're all. Um, I think they've all got a story. I mean, you know, I I can't think of any man, even Mick McCarthy. I mean, he seems the most prosaic of them all, you know, had his moments. Um, (laughs) So, but, you know, they've all got, you you know, when you think about it, we've been quite, you know, lucky in terms of the personalities, if you want, for want of a better word, who've been, I mean, no disrespect to Simon Grayson. He's probably the most, you know, the the, the most boring of them all. Uh, He's a lovely, lovely guy and everything, but, you know, that's. I think Jack Ross has got something about him. I think there's there is something about Jack. It'd be interesting in, in three or four years' time yeah. whether his profile is raised so much that he's you know he's become an, a name, if you like. But you know, you, over the last fourteen, fifteen years, I mean, look at them: Roy Keane, Sam Allardyce, Martin O'Neill, Paolo Di Canio. Um, that's Di Canio. You know, there's a whole book in Paolo on his own. But um, oh, it's 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 it, you know it's. It, there are so many riches there to, to, to mine. It's, um, yeah, the book really should be written at some point. So is Grayson more boring than Ricky Sprager? Um, no. Oh, there's a... Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> again, you look, don't get me wrong, they're both really, really nice guys. I mean, they're, they are often said in football, you know, that football's nice guys. I mean, they are genuinely football's really good. decent yeah. blokes. Yeah. Um, so I hate it sometimes when you see players as well who are really nice... You, brilliant lovely guys getting battered sometimes on social media mm. um, you think well look you know it's not for want of trying sometimes but you know you're sometimes targeting the wrong people but um, yeah Ricky Simon just really good bloke you know top blokes oh yeah uh, my yeah. favourite my favourite quote from Eddie Sunderland has, has to be Mick McCarthy rather than that terrible season we win a game finally and the reporter asks him oh how does it feel Did, do you feel like you had a monkey on your back and he goes monkey I do Entire planet of the bloody apes. <laughs> fantastic. Absolutely he was very good at the one-liners, actually. There's some fantastic ones from Ipswich, because in particular, in particular, yeah. Mick, there was a newspaper reporter that covered Ipswich, who um, he just didn't like, and so I think on a weekly <laughs> basis, the jousting between those. Oh two yeah, is, is, is yeah, probably yeah, a yeah. book on his own, actually. Yeah. Just the little little book of one-liners. Oh, it's it's fantastic, <laughs> especially towards the end of last season when it was all obviously coming to a head at um, yeah, yeah. At Ipswich. I quite enjoyed that. How we just stopped caring. Yeah, oh, yeah. he just. He just wanted to antagonise them for the sake of doing it, didn't he? It's, oh, it's, it's good how he like, loved that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, he said like he was going to leave at the end of the season, then left before it. <laughs> yeah. We that with a few games. That's one he just, like, just been yeah, sat up thinking, I'm having a really miserable time. I'm leaving at the end of the season. What am I? I'll just leave. So, I, I, can, yeah. I can just leave now, and you know, <laughs> it'll be fine. Well, they're not, not going to stop me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on to the next one. Uh, let's have a quick check of what we've got. Um, squad being thin is a, is a big question. A lot of questions about the air uh, the squad, which I feel like we've tried our best to cover because. We really just need as many players as possible. Mm. This is a one for, for everybody, but um, it's from Ross Robson. He's asking you, do you know why we're still playing Catamol? Um, Good question, because they clearly don't want him to be there in terms of his wages. Um, at the same time, Stuart Donald said to me last week, if he's still here, they can pay his wages. Um, and at the moment, I can only assume it's because of the issue we've talked about earlier the squad being thin and he's an experienced player yeah. um, I think if, 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 he's, if he's mindful that they're not going to get players in he needs Catamol on board um, and rightly or wrongly you know the, it's not Catamol's fault he's being paid the wages he's being paid I think he feels himself yeah. that he's been a bit hung out to dry on that one but um, you know it's not a Jack Robwell situation if, if you've got a body and he's fit then that's the big I think question he's going to play. Yeah. All the last few yeah. years, isn't it? Is he fit? And when he is fit, has he got the legs to actually keep? Yeah. Players? Do you think? I don't think he's got the legs anymore. Yeah. But um, no. and I don't think he's got the legs to play ninety minutes. You know, this day and age, in, in in a league as rigorous as League One. But if he's if he if he's there and available and he's in the squad, then it's a body, and that's what yeah. they mm. are. That's what they have not got at the moment. Considering yeah. as well that it might just be the case that our squad's a bit thin come the end of the transfer window, if if we haven't shifted them. Chances are he's going to stick around and he's going to come off the bench or, yeah, or whatnot. Exactly. Yeah, I think that you know it's. So I don't, I, you know, don't cut your nose, don't cut your nose off to spite your face. I think is the situation. I think Jack yeah. Ross is very good at that. You know, realizing yeah. that these players, you know, because when you look at it, and Dong, Jilliboji, Kone are nowhere near being involved. That's the thing. At least yeah. so you can clearly see that. You know, yeah, clearly see that Katamol, while he may not want to be here, 
is is going to still give his all and you know be and could still be part of the, the yeah. plan even if it was only to January. Yeah. Well, uh, over one here. It's about um, past regimes. I think we could probably go into it a bit more and get your your thoughts on the last uh, ownership. Martin Bain in particular. Do you think Martin Bain got the question from Rob Hudson is Do you think he got it right at the end of the day? I think that's not interesting. The right one. I think did he get anything right? At the end I think of the day? Martin Bain suffered from being part of the old regime, if you like. He became stigmatised in the same way that certain players, because they were identified as being with a failing team or a failing club, become um, objects of derision because of that. Martin Bain was brought in specifically to do a job, and that job at the time, you know, call him a hatchet man if you like, which I did to his face, which he didn't like, but I think basically he he was <laughs> a hatchet man. He came in because the club was in so such financial trauma that he had to start doing what he was doing. Interestingly now, Stuart Donald and Charlie Methon are doing much the same thing, but because it's a new regime, it's looked at in a different different light. They've got the So yeah. I think, you know, Martin Bain, look, he he wasn't popular, he didn't he, he didn't really I mean that's another thing because he didn't put himself out there like Stuart Donald has. That's another reason yeah. You know, and when he did, can, it was always behind. And when the, he did, it was all, it was always and it was always behind this problem. It was always behind the, the big issues, you know, not bad news. Um, so inevitably, he was going to get tainted with that brush. I don't think it would have mattered what he'd have done, you know, if he if he, if he swung in and said, "Here's fifty million, um, all your troubles are over." I don't think people would have accepted him because of this association with Ellis Short with the with the old regime. But he was here to do a job, and he was and he was doing it. And in fact, he said himself, he could have been a lot more brutal than he was. And he so in in, in many ways, he, he you know he was holding back. And Charlie and Stuart have come in now, and doing the brutal stuff. Yeah. Mm. But because it's new, and they're the new owners, and it's a new you know a new beginning, if you like, it's more acceptable. Yeah, I mean, do you think um, there was a with Alice Short in particular? Do you think there was a certain point in his time that? Everything sort of tipped and it went. Yeah, down I think, it, do you think I, it was a gradual thing. No, I think it came to. I think he's he was losing interest in it really after Steve Bruce. I think. I think. Wow, the far back. Yeah, yeah I, I think it was. I think the amount of money he was pumping in and it wasn't really working. I think he was starting to lose heart a bit. Um, it's, it's significantly, he, he, you know, he used at the start first few years he was at every home game, um, and then that tailed off. He'd been at every away game that tailed off. He started watching the games at home. That tailed off. Um, I, you know, I think he gradual. I'm not sure. I think there, there was a point at which he just wasn't enjoying it anymore. Was hemorrhaging money, and it just wasn't working out for him. And I think he then, you know, he fell out with Gus Poyet. He fell out with whoever. I mean, he, that was one trait of his. He always fell out with a manager. Didn't matter who it was. He'd always fall out with them down the line. Roy Keane left before he got in. Yeah, because they because they'd fallen out. You know, so. Um, and I just think it's on. I, I think when you look back at it now, historically, you know, hindsight, the perfect art. Um, and you look at Randy Lerner at Aston Villa, Ellis Short at it's, Sunderland. It struck me a lot it's like the American owners. It's the American owners of, of, yeah. of football clubs. They don't really understand. Yeah. The you know finer points, if you like. Yeah, there's perhaps a cultural difference. That it's you might a cultural say. thing. Yeah, yeah. A cultural thing. I think that inevitably, in the end, I mean, that's why I'd have, I'd have a worry about some of the Chinese takeovers and mm. and so on down the yeah. line. I mean, that's one thing about Stuart Donald and Charlie Metham, which I will really embrace, is that they're English. They understand football. They understand the culture. Um, I mean, they're Oxford. It doesn't matter. Well, it doesn't matter whether it's Oxford, yeah. Eastleigh, or yeah. Sunderland. Yeah. They understand. You know what it's all about, and I don't mm. think really foreign owners can really ever get under the skin. No, I of think English yeah. football. they are a lot more sort of able to view football clubs through like a corporate lens that we couldn't bring ourselves to do, and that's what distinguishes Donald and Methven from these people because, as you say, they're football fans. You know, they get what a football club is from that first-person experience of growing up in a country where football teams are the lifeblood, you know, of your sporting culture. Yeah, and I think I feel. I mean, one, in one way, I feel a bit sorry for Martin Bain because Martin Bain had that understanding from his time, and he's a huge Rangers fan, and you know, um, he understood that culture. But he had a job to do, mm -hmm. which was counter to him his beliefs in, you know, because if you spoke to him, you know, on a personal basis about football, 
he 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 loves it. I mean, you know, he talk have long conversations about you know clubs like Burnley and and getting it. You know, you go to Burnley and Burnley fans get it. You know, because yeah. it's a good old fashioned football. Very, club. very jealous of Burnley at the moment. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it, it's so, but he, he you know he had to wear his he had to wear his hatchet hat and um, mm-hmm. so I, I, going back to this the whole cultural thing. You know, at, at least Sunderland do have owners now who are who, who get it. Um, you know, there are still obviously issues around that, but on the whole, I, I feel, I, you know, it's nice to think that the club's in in the hands of people who who I think will who, who want it to you know flourish again as a proper football yeah. club. I think. Uh, sorry, so, also, um, I think obviously you're saying that obviously you know they understand like how what it feels like to be an English football fan, but it's also the fact that they've been involved with um, like a non-league side as well, and I think that is really sort of you know. I know a lot of people who say like the football league sort of like bread and butter, but it really, if it makes sense, like the lower non-league is even more sort of bread and butter. Um, I was like, don't like use that phrase twice close to each other, maybe, but it's like that's where they they've been owners of um, a team where they need their gates um, money to survive, and I think it would be it's going to be good. For for them to bring this sort of like it's like a philosophy from a much smaller side than Sunderland yeah. it'll be you've got that value for every penny yeah, that's yeah. Inc- it's, it's interesting <clears throat> trying to apply that to it I mean I think that's the one thing that I think that's the steep learning curve for Stuart Donald at the minute um, is that it's not it's, it's not yeah. easily and I think it'll naturally be more resourceful from the yeah. average football and suddenly yeah. he's finding he's going on Twitter and there's forty thousand want to talk to him and not four thousand yeah, want to talk to him. He's doing the same things he was doing. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. and I think Just which is great, which is great because if he if he could get that right, brilliant. But it's not going to happen in two months. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, before the start of the season, and it might not happen for another season. But if the, the, his his, I think that's the thing about Stuart Donald, and you can hear it in the way he talks. And um, having met him, he's 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 a he's a big kid at heart. I think when it comes to the you know owning this football club. He wants it to be this. He wants it to be that, and he wants it all done now. Um, in his ideal world, you know, he's champing at the bit to get players in. He's champing at the bit to get the yeah. seats in. He's champing at the bit to. Yeah, I definitely got that impression. And I, I just think sometimes you just need to to stand back a bit from that. It might you you could do it at Eastleigh, but it's not. So, I'm not so sure you can do it at Sunderland. I feel sorry for him for a bit because he's getting criticised from fans for not um, not. Buying players and like you're promising this, you're not delivering it, or like you said, we've got this budget, but you're not giving us any of the players for it. It's like he does really, really want to do it, though. Like, yeah, I think yeah. that's a good if, point. I think he's, yeah. he's being he criticised for caring too much in a way. Yeah, um, so he, and it's hard. I, I just think, um, which is another reason side. when we were coming back to what we were saying earlier about maybe just just pipe down a little bit, yeah. just step back a little bit, just um, yeah. and don't allow yourselves to make the fans have expectations. Yeah, I think with the in terms of the budget though I think obviously I think a lot of people don't understand is that like it's not just like a transfer budget it's like a basically a budget to keep the club operational so obviously it's like it's wages and all that sort of thing and it's obviously yeah we'll have a bigger budget in terms of how much we can spend on the actual running of the club every week every month but you know we don't have like five six million pounds to go and spend on one player and I think it's just it is it's like it's hard because obviously we've come crashing down the leagues and obviously, you know, it is a bit of a, you know, we're in need of sort of a reality check. I think a lot of fans, obviously no disrespect to any fans, but it's that we're used to, you know, a lot of fans, we're used to being in that position where we're expected to go out and then, you know, you know five, six years ago, we're spending 10, 15 million pounds on one player. And obviously all of a sudden, you know, we're going to be nowhere near that level. I think it's just... It's going to be interesting how we need to sort of get back to realizing that it's not going to be as easy as it was then. Just to I think, yeah, have all that good, money to spend. I think it's a good point, and in, in, in that I was thinking the other day when John Egan moved from Brentford to Sheffield United, and you think, well, <laughs> you know, you look know. you look back over the away. years. Well, not just one. You know, there are oh, a number yeah. that got away, <laughs> yeah. and you think, well, that and part of the reason they got away was because Sunderland. If you like, had ideas above their station. They thought they were a bit with this, and we we don't need John Egan's. We don't need yet. Now you've come full circle. John Egan was a homegrown player. Would have would, would have sat in the Sunderland defence 
now and here they are looking to try and get a centre back. He in. would have been our best player. Then, and, yeah. um, <laughs> so you, you know you've you've got an academy now which more than ever is important because there are young players and there are clearly one or two there who who could be real players. And you've got under 23s now going to be the fulcrum of the League One team. You've got, um, I mean, it's amazing that, you know, a number of people I speak to who've never heard of the Checker Trade Trophy or don't know how it works. And that's not because it's, and it's just because it was a competition for teams in League One and League Two where they never in a million years expected Sunderland to be playing. Well, they're there. That's what that's where they are now. That's They're a League One team. And you've got to try and, in your head, mentally, get your heads around yeah, that. And in the same sense that, you know, Jack Ross, it, it, you know, he's having to work on a League One budget and look at, you know, League One players. and um, yeah, A lot of fans will argue like, well, you promised us more money than any of the League One side. And say, well, if you look at it, there isn't a lot of money being spent in League One at all. No. You've also got the fact that we've got a, you know, it, we can't go signing two more centre-halves because we've still got Kone at the club. Financial fair play is still a, a big issue. Yeah. You know, it's all well and good saying we need another 10 players or whatever in, but you don't want to get back in exactly the same position you were in you know, two years ago with financial fair play, because people will say, well, oh, well, hang on a minute, you're, you're still getting gates of 22,000, whatever, that's your season ticket stuff. But commensurate to that, your wages are still pretty high at the moment and you're getting more players in. And there's going to come a point where, well, oh, hang on a minute, and I think it's they are having to work around that at the moment. Mm-hmm. FFP is is a hindrance because they've got Kony, because they've got Jilliboji, because they've got Katamol, because they've got Undong. Yeah, we've got these the big book. chunks of useless wages yeah. that need to go before any more substantial movement can happen. You know, I think you, you could sneak one or two more players in, but you're not going to have that. I think that massive overhaul that people want is not going to just immediately happen it'll, because you've got the likes of Jellabodji and Corny just, you know, mm-hmm. sticking around and doing summer, whatever. If you wrote down all of our ins and outs, it'll look like a massive overhaul. I think at the moment, oh, yeah. in the thick of it, yeah. it's yeah. difficult to see. I think once the season starts and the squad's settled, and we will win a few games. We might not be blowing people away to start with. But I think once we... We start the season, everything will settle down. Everyone will get it. Everyone will pull together again. Yeah, and I think, um, and let's, let's be real, it's a, yeah. it's a tough start. I mean, yeah, you, you know, the, in a way, they've got the two worst games they could have asked for. You know, Charlton, who missed narrowly missed out. Luton, who came up with a, you know, on fire. I mean, it's, that's not going to be easy. And, and the last thing you really want is to, to to lose those two games and then people start getting on the back. So, well, you haven't spent this. And, mm-hmm. and I yeah. think if, if they get anything from those two games... You know, that's a real bonus bearing looking at the squad that Sunderland got in a minute and the fact they're going up against two teams who've already got momentum and won't have to have done much yeah, in the and summer. They're ready and they're finished. They're, they're ready, not, they're, they're not in yeah, the yeah. rebuild process. So we've got um we've covered all the all the meaty, the juicy topics. We're gonna go through some nice little what are your favourites, what are your you like, what you dislike about different players and managers for your time covering the club. So we'll just go We'll start off with favourite manager. Now I want to sort of add a bit more. This is from uh, from Stuart Proctor ninety six. I just want to also add that if you can have one manager to pull out of Short's era and put in now, no no slight on Jack Ross who's doing mm, great oh, yeah, work no, no, already. No, but if we could one manager you feel sorry for and you could bring into this era to enjoy Sunderland as a manager instead of being uh, well, uh, under the Chris cough. Coleman leaps out at me. I mean, I know there were lots of people who had um, doubts about his tactics and everything last season, but in terms of dealing with him as a manager. He was fantastic. It couldn't couldn't have been better to deal with from a press media point of view. Everyone we've spoken to, like we spoke to um, like George Colgan, Keith Downey, they they all said exactly the same thing. Mm. He's a, a, a really lovely guy, but um, yeah, understood stood where we were coming from. Um, genuinely nice guy, uh, brilliant to deal with, and you know, in that sense, yeah, he'd he'd definitely be up there. I mean, the funny thing is. On the other end of the scale, in terms of you know personalities and, and not being one that was who was out to be a friend or anything else, was Roy Keane. And you talk to you know if you talk to George and the others in the press, I think all of us love Roy Keane to deal with. He was fantastic. He, he was utterly professional. He kept you on your toes, you know. But um, it was a real pleasure going down to press conferences and po- even post match. I mean, even when they lost at Everton that day, you know, seven one. Um, seven one seven two, whatever it was. I mean, you know, he was fantastic. I mean, he it, it really was um, brilliant to deal with. So I'd certainly, I'd certainly have had Roy back in one sense. Just to, to, do you think he'd work with Stuart Donald? No, I don't think. I don't think. I think, think, think it takes a very certain. I don't think Roy can work with anybody yeah. to be honest as a manager. I don't think. I think you know. You, another thing is the old adage: "Don't come back," isn't it? You don't come back. Yeah. Um, but for that, you know that. 
small window on 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 his time here. He was it was great and brilliant. To, to, that was um, a yeah, really like, good time. Yeah, I always feel like Martin O'Neill didn't get a fair crack. Yeah, I like I, Martin. I, just, I mean, more. I, I, his football was boring. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I did think he he sort of hit the buffers a bit. I, I look historically, I think one of the reasons that good managers hit the buffers here was because there was no money and they were hamstrung by um, one of his like key coaches that he'd been with for a long time left and that sort of coincided well, with the slide it, or do you think that was it was the, I think the big thing was I think this Roy Keane Martin O'Neill you can apply the same thing um, Roy Keane never brought in a strong right hand man having Tony Lochran as, as, as his right hand man was a mistake it, it just didn't work the players didn't respect him there was nobody to stand up to Roy I mean he, he Brian Kidd was going to, or he'd asked Brian Kidd to come in. I think if Brian had come in, there was someone with the experience who would have done that. But Tony wasn't that man, and and that's one of, that was an Achilles' heel for Roy Keane, for Martin O'Neill, John Robertson not coming, was the same thing. He didn't have that right hand man, that that made it work for him. I mean, you look at, I think historically managers who tend tend to work, they have a good right hand man, and um, Steve Bruce had Eric Black, who was very good for him. Um, Martin O'Neill had, had always had success with John Robertson but when John decided to stay in Edinburgh and not come I think that was the, the writing on the wall I think it's interesting now that obviously Martin O'Neill works with Roy Keane Roy Keane when you look back at it yeah. he, strike, he yeah. strikes you as the number two he's an excellent right hand man the one who commands respect from the, yeah. the troops so it's and it does seem to work and then um, you, you, well, you, you go back look, you go back to Brian Clough don't you and Peter Taylor I mean it, and when they weren't working together it didn't work Yeah, you know there is a it is, you know, there is when when managers have those relationships, they work for a reason, and I think that was Roy's weakness, not having someone strong beside him, and Martin O'Neill again, not having the one man beside him who he really bounced off. Yeah, we've got one one more, so a lot lighter than everything we've had so far. Who's your favourite goalkeeper? Because goalkeepers, massive issue for some. I'm hoping it's not anyone from last year. <laughs> Grums, who is my favourite goalkeeper? Uh, I like Mark Poom. Yeah, um, he was a really nice guy. Um, I thought he was a good keeper. Uh, we had some good times when Poom was here. I'm, of course, I always remember his goal. Goal, I mean. um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think yeah, in my time, Mark Poom would top my list. I think, and I, I think I saw someone on Twitter earlier about what was the best save I've commentated on. I mean that Craig Gordon, Craig Gordon. save oh, oh, has to be unbelievable wasn't I mean, from that, that night wasn't it? Yeah, yeah that yeah, is yeah. so far ahead oh. of any other save. Yeah. You couldn't not pick the Craig I Gordon save. I remember you like, but... sort of run where he made some like worldy stops, but Craig Gordon was uh, that was yeah I mean, that was, was a world class save. Yeah, I mean was, that really he was, was. About four yards out, wasn't it? He was yeah, and, he was, the, and he was going the wrong. It was yeah. he was going the wrong way. Yeah, it was four yards out. He shouldn't have got it. He shouldn't have. That was it. Was anticipation, wasn't it? It wasn't. He didn't react to it. He like figured the ball was going to come back and. And it's one it of those weird like ones, yeah. And it's one of those weird ones that, when you see it live, it doesn't matter how many times you see it replayed, it never quite strikes you as <laughs> no. brilliant a save it was when you saw it in the moment. That moment you just judge the moment. You, you were waiting to yeah, pick yeah. the ball out the back of the net, and yeah. you think, how yeah. did he keep that? Like watching it as a fan, you've got that moment where you know they're going to score. Yeah. It in your mouth, and you just completely like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then suddenly, it hasn't gone in. You don't know what to do. You yeah. sort of silently scream. Yeah. Like that was anyway. <laughs> yeah, that was. Um, that was fantastic. I, I'll tell you what, I, I mean, I also like Vito Minoni as well. I mean, I know he's yeah, flawed, he, but he Vito uh, Vito was a, a terrific guy. Um, I was sorry to see him go, but um, yeah, Mark Poom, Vito Minoni, top two. Mm. Mark Poom, Minoni, that's a good list. And I yeah. think, final question, we'll, uh, we'll go around the table as well, because I don't think I've ever posed it to you two, but who, what <laughs> well. is your favourite Sunderland memory, our greatest moment? And you're not allowed to say the cup final. I wasn't going anywhere. God, let me heck. Cup final is its own, doesn't it? It stands yeah. on its own. Uh, Favorite, do you know? Bizarrely, one of them. I just, I think it's because it just makes me laugh. Is um, the night when Jeff Whitley missed that penalty against Palace in the playoffs? More because Benno beside me was just going, "What's he doing, man? What's he doing?" And just going. <laughs> and, 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 I just never. I don't think I've ever seen a more incompetent penalty. And that just, the, just the whole little, that little sort of scenario. In those few seconds, I just it just still makes me laugh now. I mean, I've, there, there have been so many good goals, there have been so many good saves, there have been so many good matches that, you know, it, it, it's glib in a way to try and pick out those. It's moments, you know, you have little moments in, in, in an occasion. I mean, I, I, Carlos Edwards, that, that unbelievable oh, oh, goal against the river, Burnley, oh. you know, and, and having done it a week or two earlier against Southampton, but to pull an even better one out. And, 
um, and Palo de Canio, the derby. I mean, there's so many moments like that. Yeah. But you, you, you just, you just there are little things you just remember, you know. I always Jeff feel, Whitney's I always penalty. feel robbed of one of my favourite moments, which is Adam Johnson's winner against Newcastle, St James' yeah. Park, where we went the length of the pitch on the break. Yeah, I feel like I can't have that quite as much as I <laughs> no. used to. Yeah, it'd it be in my, it'd be in my top five definitely, but now it's it's plummeted significantly, yeah. due to obvious reasons. <laughs> well, I, I, I stole the clip of it from BBC and put it on Facebook for my friends, and then obviously like some fans on Facebook clicked it and it started getting shared. It was like massive, and it's yeah. got like hundreds of thousands of views. And I was probably buzzing with myself because I was only young, and then uh, I sort of yeah. like hide it It'll from people. Now. Like, I can't yeah. have a video of Adam yeah. Johnson on my yeah. Facebook. It's a secret shame, now, isn't it? That really, it's like that game never took place. But I think my <laughs> my favourite one is uh, is Sam Allardyce three 0 against Newcastle because we were absolutely yeah. we were absolutely yeah. Yeah. we should have been three 0 down yeah. before we'd even look like scoring. Colacini shouldn't have been sent off. McLaren shouldn't have been sacked because he would have won that game. Would have been wonderful. And I just I like it because I know how much it upsets Newcastle fans. Yeah, on a different day they win four yeah, nil. And, and there's yeah. no there's yeah. no question about that. <laughs> you know, just all needed for just one of the goals in the first half to go in and heads just drop. The home fan, the home crowds immediately doom and gloom, knowing that Newcastle are just going to come at them again. They'd be absolutely on cloud nine. You know, that it'd, it'd be unrelenting, but it just the the one time in. In in ninety nine other possible worlds, and we're in the one, we're <laughs> in the one where that happens. That <laughs> it's, like, I mean, it's like that get well bizarre games Blackpool at the Stadium of Light where they score two goals on two two shots on target. Oh, it was awful that. Yeah, forty five thousand shots or something, and still <laughs> yeah. lose two nil. Yeah, I like the, uh, the the reverse of that fixture when we won. I think it was like three two in the end. Richardson scored. And, yeah. yeah, a grey day, a misty foggy. Yeah, that that, that, the home Blackpool one was great because I remember that's when they had Richard Kingston in goal, and I remember he'd made like loads of bad mistakes, and it's like, oh he's gonna be, like, he's gonna be so bad, and then he did this one where like he he missed the ball, and it almost like literally spun behind him and went in, but he went back to kick it out. And then it's just like you come away from that game, and it's like how has he kept a clean sheet? Have we been unable to score past him, <laughs> and then we've lost this game? <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. I quite enjoyed our <laughs> run of one 0 victories over Man City. Yeah, that was yeah, that was, that was every good. time yeah, we came round. It's sort of the first three times nobody noticed, but then it sort of we start going. We've got a weird. Well, the first one was because the G just stumbling over the ball. I mean, you couldn't. Yeah, and there was one. Right, um, yeah, there was one where the one where Campbell got injured, like the bad injury, and then I think Danny Welbeck made his debut, and that was like the start of that little yeah. chapter yeah. in Sunderland history. But it's weird. I mean, there are weird things like that. I mean, the Man City thing and the Man City when they won the. Premier League and Sunderland were the only team that they didn't beat that season, and, we did that yeah. Wolves and then and again doing it again with Wolves yeah. Yeah. without conceding a goal. I mean, you couldn't <laughs> you couldn't write it, could you? Could how could you wouldn't if you'd said to someone at the start, saying you're going to finish, you're going to be the worst team in the Championship. Yeah, you're not going to concede a goal against well, the team that goes up. If, yeah. Top yeah. Spot. Yeah, if somebody said you, you're going to you're going to like be the only team to go unbeaten against Wolves this season, I'd probably put money on us to win the league. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't expect. Yeah, it. this is Wolves. They're the best team in the league this season. But you'll draw nil nil away with ten men, and you'll beat them three nil at home oh. with a sixteen year old as your captain. And, and then, how many times? How many three three draws last season? You know, you oh, just think. Oh my god! Yeah. Yeah. Bristol, Bristol. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we bizarre. cling to ironically funny games because we have nothing else of yeah. late to brag about no. it's like no. a defence mechanism almost yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm upset the uh, people on Twitter criticise some fans for calling it Bristan Bull and it's like can we not just have a little bit can we of have fun? something can we, we have even win yeah. we're not actually celebrating I mean, the bizarre thing is another couple of minutes they would have won wouldn't they I mean that was yeah. the yeah, yeah. didn't, yeah, didn't um, somebody missed a sit didn't they when it was 3-3 three, three yeah, to win did. Yeah, probably yeah. Fletcher probably. yeah I think yeah, it's just like it's I mean if, <laughs> if we'd won that one I mean that would have just been Incredible to, no. to go like, yeah. and how well they were playing as well. Like, obviously, still well, for seventy minutes. They were. It was only one winner, wasn't there? I mean, they could, yeah. they could have been six, mm. seven. Oh, up. easily. We're such a funny football club. Yeah, we are. Well, <laughs> we're just one nice things, really. Here's yeah. to another season of funny some things. So there'll no doubt. Oh, it will be. Oh, be, it won't be. it won't be seamless. It won't be smooth. Yeah, when we're beating teams, when there's actually more of us in the uh, away crowd than there is yeah. in the home crowd, and that's going to happen. It's, it's, it's yeah. ironic, isn't it? You know, four seventy-three. Their documentary's coming out. In October, yeah. I mean, at the start of last season, you know, chatting to them, saying, "Well, from your point of view, you know, you really either want a promotion or a relegation, don't you?" I mean, that's that's what it's all about. You want drama, mm-hmm. and not only do they get not only do they get relegation, they get two managers, they get Bristol, they get everything else thrown <laughs> into it. I mean, you must have think someone said, you know, if you you've sort of, underneath it all, if if you sort of think suspiciously, you think someone's you know 
planned all this, so they just got a great documentary out yeah. of it. <laughs> well, I know uh, Four Seventy Three, the company that do all the uh, carpool karaoke's with James Corden. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to Stuart Donald Charlie Meth and karaoke like Jack Ross carpool karaoke. <laughs> oh, it's got to happen. <laughs> oh, it's, now they've said it, it's, it's got to happen. As long as it's not the station taxis one. No disrespect to station taxis. <laughs> <laughs> Right, that's uh, I think that's a good place to end it off then so thank you very much for that's joining us so. Nick pleasure once yeah. again you're welcome back anytime at all Grand. I can't believe we've gone through the entire podcast about barely mentioning Benno but more than a couple of times legend pop me ice cream pop <laughs> me ice cream yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fantastic <laughs> tangent if ever there was one right, get your eyes out for Bloomfield Road and we're in the snow getting an ice cream wonder what this tune will be <laughs> <laughs> and thank you very much to Paddy Hollis coming all the way from Ireland to join us today it's a pleasure and Alex McCain thank you very much once more I've been Chris thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you at some point in the future bye adios bye 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 hold up what was that boring no flavour that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.